up. We are joined okay. by the legend. Let me know if there's anything else I can help you with. Oh, seriously. Just... Priest. Seriously. You wanted to be a priest. The... Correct. Right. Man of the cloth. Just... I'm out of the cloth. Yeah, that's me. I'm out of the cloth. Uh, was it a brothel? It wasn't no, technically no, a brothel. No, because you know, uh, it, 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 yeah, it was a brothel. Stand by. Here comes your summer refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny. Hello, welcome, welcome along to Summer Refreshed with Graham and Johnny. Uh, it's our first episodes, uh, the first of six, dropping every two weeks between now and September. We're here with loads of stuff to refresh your summer, including celebrity guests, stand-up comics from the Edinburgh Fringe, and random guests like the Celebrity Grave Hunter, and, uh, oh, some much-needed relationship advice as well. The brief, it's, it's as generic as they come. It's just be refreshing and refresh your summer. And just, I know this could mean literally anything, and trust us, we're about to test that to the limits. In the next 20 minutes, we're going to be chatting to the DJ to the world's biggest music and fashion stars, and the author of a current Sunday Times bestseller, uh, the book that everybody's took away to read, on the beach in Ibiza this year, the author of the legendary book, I Don't Take Requests, the legendary DJ Fat Tony, he is on the way. But yeah, first it's time to get a little bit personal. You need to find out a little bit more about us and we kind of want to tell you. So let's jump into the confessional. Summer Refreshed. I didn't know we were going to do, we're doing the confessional now. Let's do the confessional. He's got an envelope. Showbiz. He's got Showbiz an envelope. envelope. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Showbiz you got me. golden envelope. So we've been asked to do this from our boss um, because obviously, uh, you know, we've got a couple of people in a data department. We actually have a data department for this, would you believe? Um, so they just deal in all ones and zeros. They only talk in ones and zeros. And you go in there and say hello. Ones and like zeros. One zero 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 one. Oh, that's hello. Yeah. That's it. It's like, like some kind of Morse code. Yeah. Like the Matrix. <laughs> like, a, like a walking, talking calculator. Um, so uh, the data guys are um, kind of requested to do this. So they, they want to run data on how how enjoyable we are to listen to, basically. Okay. Oh, so, oh God. No oh, pressure. No. No. Right. This is like, I, I said I could have told you this without any data. It's not very <laughs> enjoyable. Um, so I've got the showbiz golden envelope. Um, Mr. Graham Smith, you can go first. Um, I'm just going to pick random things out. So it's a traditional kind of thing. Um, with various questions on. Right. Um, some are good, some are bad. Right. But this hopefully will set the scene for what we are uh, in terms of how good mates we are or find out a little bit of information about okay. you. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? It's up to you. Um, you go first. Okay. Uh, so uh, the question is, what did I want to be when I was a kid growing up? So what was my ambition uh, when I was young? Um I had your laugh at this. I had two things that I wanted to be when I was growing up as a kid. Pilot. Um, no. Seem the type. Guess. You seem the type. And I mean, I say that with love. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I seem the type to be a pilot? Because <laughs> you got into people who ended up working in radio. A lot of them are like, they like being pilots. They like having buttons to push. Except in a plane, obviously, you push the wrong buttons. Everyone dies. And it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. On the radio, people go. Wasn't very good. Um, oh, so you didn't want to be a pilot. Um, give me a clue. Come on. I don't think it's anything you can guess, but um, give us a clue. My anyway. initials, JC, might give it ever so slightly away. That's a, a priest. You wanted to be a priest. 
the, Correct. Right. Um, Diz, <laughs> you want me up? I genuinely, yeah. Oh Honestly. Oh my God. How mad's that? Yeah, that was like, but dad always used to go to church and stuff. And I went to church, did the, like, the whole altar boy thing and all yeah. the rest of it. And then did that up until I was about 12 and then got into working in radio. Do you know what? So, yeah, when I was at, right, go on. Sorry, you were saying. I mean, people would say I'm a very caring person. So do you yes. know what I mean? For the pre southern stuff, I reckon it wouldn't be a, a bad fit. But yeah, genuinely, that was the one thing. And then ultimately, in about 1992, started watching The Big Breakfast. Chris Evans comes on a telly and I was like, sod this, I want to be wanna him. Do that. He's getting paid to be himself, I reckon, as an avenue for this somewhere. Isn't it funny how many people were sort of like recruit like around, we're in our 30s, so like a number of people around sort of millennial sort of age who were recruited into wanting to work and do this kind of thing by watching like the big breakfast and stuff in the 90s. was quite a few people say that, isn't it? Do you know, priest-wise, I went through mm-hmm. a period as a kid when I was like, I want to be a priest. Because my family used to do the the old to get me into a, a decent school. My mum and dad used to send me to get involved with a lot of churches, and then, and, and the end result was I was kind of like, I think I might want to be a priest. And then I hit puberty, and I was like, maybe not. <laughs> well, that's it. And I would it's, never have imagined that about you. I yeah, I think as well. Like a man of the cloth, just a man of the cloth. Yeah, that's me, the man of the cloth. <laughs> I always think of touching cloth when I think that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be doing that in a confessional booth. Um, <laughs> what are you going to wipe it on? Um, the, the vestment. Um, yeah, so, and that's what they were, by the way. I think, is it? I don't know. The old this robes. Talking, uh, the old robes. The old like, robes. The old robe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, well, um, do you know what, Johnny? Just, I'm so surprised by that. You really have, you well, really have um, surprised me. I'm going to mention, by the way, uh, The Big Breakfast is back on Channel 4 uh, in August. Um, and if you've never seen it... Um, Mo Gilligan uh, is going to host it. He's so good, him. He's really um, good at the moment. He's the perfect person to host it. If only someone could get him to do it through the week, they'd have it nailed. I know. So every Saturday morning uh, on Channel 4, and it was one of these shows. 90s Fever is truly back and has been, obviously, for the past year or so. I cannot recommend how good that show was. And it's Well, do you honestly, know what they reckon, by the way? 90s, so 90s Fever's been with us for... Yeah, like a few years, like you said, and they reckon the next mm. one to come into uh, into being is going to be um, early noughties. Um, you know, when you look back okay. at them pictures now, like in the early noughties, when none of us had any facial hair, we were all wearing like boot cut jeans and stuff. And you look at them, you go, "Oh God, uh, G Star will be coming back." Yeah, I, I, I G Star was my f- favorite Bench. kind of jeans. Yeah, bet all that. Well, it's all going to come back in. That's what they're saying. Going to go a full circle. I'm going to have to scrub off all the tattoos. Going to put all the facial hair. And, uh, if I, honestly, if I have a shave, uh, you will, I need a filter on this. I will look absolutely disgraceful. <laughs> oh, God, I'm, I'm, I was just going to Google then what Johnny looked like without a beard. I'm going to now. I don't think it exists. I'm going to look. I'll bet it does. Right. I don't think it does. I could send you a photo. I'm going to see. I'll send you a photo and put on it on your big TV screen, the imaging screen behind you next week. It won't exist, I'm telling I, you. Oh, no, there isn't, is there? Well, I'm on your Twitter here, just going back. We'll we'll get you. Don't you worry. We'll get okay, you. Okay, if you if you can produce that, if not, just get a little um, filter on it so I look like I've got no beard. Little right, school um, picture yours. from back in the day or something. You know, all them fake library yeah. books behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never read a book in my life apart from Fat Tony's. Yeah, um, apart from that. Um, right, yours. Oh. Uh, what makes you angry? Oh God! Quite a lot of things, Great actually. Yeah, I, I, that's why it hit me because I um um oh I say someone. I mean, 
obviously, look, I know you're with Stephen and you have been for a while and everyone has tips when you're in a relationship. I would think the biggest thing what makes you angry is someone who's not professional. Yes, that it can do. And so does, so does hypocrisy. That makes me okay. angry. Hypocrisy. When someone says, do this, and then does something completely different themselves. And I feel like that, I've, I've given you enough scope there to work out exactly the kind of things that would annoy me. <laughs> you know? I think so. From in the You've news. you covered that really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but like hypocrisy, that really winds me up, really grinds my gears. Like that can properly get up my nose. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of something a bit more. Make me angry. Maybe you're not an angry person. Yeah, maybe this is like this is the thing. This is why it's opened the floodgates to. I get angry. <laughs> shall I try? Shall I try and make you angry now? <laughs> I think you'd struggle with me in this zone, but I, I honestly have. I, I can get angry about stuff, and it's part of what. Do you know what it usually means? Because I've looked into it. It usually means I'm stressed. If I get angry. Yeah. That's what it means. I've made this really serious now, haven't I? Um, <laughs> it does. It means well, like, yeah. it's like a stress response, anger. I'm going to tell you something about anger for us to go down a really odd route that you can expect, right? Okay, no, go for it. This is confessional. This is good. Go on. So, right. Um, as someone who's been through, is going through therapy um, mm-hmm. as an ongoing thing, and I think it's good for people. Yeah. We have various emotional, we have various responses that we go to when something challenges us. And we have our... Uh, it's like a reflex reaction or racket emotion, they call it. The top one that you're used to going for. And as a man, um, I think that uh, I, your go-to can be, I'm going to get angry because it feels powerful, it feels cathartic, and it feels, you're kind of used to it. Um, so often when something goes wrong, you might be feeling hurt, you might be feeling any number of other things. You go for your racket emotion, you go for anger because I'm a man, I'm used to feeling, I'm, I'm angry. And it makes you feel better. But in reality, when you go delve a little bit deeper than that, you're not feeling angry, you're feeling hurt or hungry. Or, or, do you get what I mean? Yeah, I always remember as well because not 100% the same here, but me as a manager, and in the past I've been you know, a manager for you've you managed and me, yeah. count, countless other people um, over the years. <laughs> some better and some worse than you. Um, but everyone used to always turn around and say, oh, I think people expect when you're a manager that you're just going to be annoyed and you're going to be angry and I used to always say if you shout you lose control and I always remember that and I always kind of used to go so when you had to raise your voice which for me was quite lucky and it wasn't really very often at all I don't think I've ever seen you raise your voice honestly I've seen you annoyed but never raise your voice yeah I think that's and and I can probably think genuinely on I must have been a manager for what 10 years and you're managing various different people if you're managing anyone from a media background and people have you know, people have big personalities. They have personality disorders is what I think a lot of people, we don't say that, but a lot of people that work in high performance jobs develop personality disorders, which makes them think that they're better than they are, more angry than they are. It makes them extra. And for you as someone who had to deal with that, that was a challenge. I'd have just gone. Yeah, I think, yeah, sometimes it was. Sometimes it was, (laughs) yeah. You want to see what, you want to, you want to know what I said behind your back. Um, I I could guess, I could guess. I'd have said the same. You know, you you were like, Johnny properly managed me and I can honestly say you're right. I didn't ever see you kick off. But other people I did see kick off. Steve, my other half, says this to me, the moment you, you get angry, you've lost. Well, this is it. And I think as well, when you are doing that kind of angle, when you're, I always wanted to be someone 
maybe at times you can be more supportive than maybe you need to be mm-hmm. because you can sort of those lines can be crossed with friends mm-hmm. and colleagues and stuff. I always kind of thought if you wanted to, to to be there for someone, you had to have a very good listening ear. And I think as long as you've got that listening ear, and ultimately at the top of that, everything else kind of just comes. It should come actual, really. I think if you can listen to someone, I always kind of thought you can listen to problems and maybe stop them before it actually happens. Yeah. Um, because you can see them developing. Yeah. This has stuck a deep thing. Do you it, want another one? Yeah, let's have another one. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, so I, I thought I, I was going to be able to give you something hilarious that make me angry. And I'm like, actually, no, here's some therapy chat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, do you want this one or I can take Go this on, one? Go on, you have this you. one. Uh, this is easy. This is taking us away from the angry chat. Favourite superhero? Um, unquestionably for me, Batman. Why Batman? Well, I, when I was a kid, I used to say I remember watching classic <laughs> Batman. Going up the wall <laughs> on the rope, I always think of that. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, the original Batman and Robin from the 60s, absolute genius. Mm-hmm. They used to repeat it on Channel 4 in like... Sunday morning and, and stuff. all that. Yeah. yeah, the original 60s Batman with um, with Adam West and Burt Ward, they, they were just brilliant for anyone who doesn't remember um, who doesn't know Adam West a lot of people do know it's common knowledge isn't it is the, the, the is Mayor West from Family Guy oh I didn't know this this is so, uh, it, yeah what's the relation he, he is the voice of Mayor West in Family Guy I thought Adam West's dead he is but he was oh yeah so he's but, he's okay. dead <laughs> how dare you break it to me like this <laughs> Johnny he's dead and <laughs> okay but uh, R.I.P. Mr. West. Very funny man. But yeah, he was the voice of uh, Mayor West on Family Guy as well. So that's kind of like, um, yeah. He played like just an absolute loon and that, didn't he? Um, and went along with it and was very funny. Yeah, and there was brilliant bits like in the original Batman. There was certain elements. So because obviously it was made in the 60s and it was quite good for the 60s. They had a bit of investment in there. Turn you know, the camera on its side. They're going up a building. That's, that's the special effect. They would. Oh, least, and that was it but it was almost like you could tell they were going to turn it on the side while you're watching yeah. it it was just like happening live wasn't it um, and there was a bit in it where the, the guy who played the Joker um, or, or the Riddler I think it was the Joker with the big pe- like purple he, suit and the, it was in money white face to make him look like a clown but he had uh, he had a beard he could only shave it down so much and sometimes you could see the kind of beard coming through the white makeup particularly his tash yeah because oh, I think really? he refused to shave it off all the time yeah yeah. Eva, one to Google. Eva. So, favourite superhero. I remember it more so from the 80s. Growing up, you had Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, the original sort of 89 Batman with uh, Joker played by uh, Jack Nicholson. Honestly, brilliant. Tim Burton directing. Was really genius. good, that, wasn't Absolutely. it? It was on It was on brilliant. some good thing. Then. Who, do you remember the mid-90s one with a um, member who played Robin? And I bring him up. What was his name? I can't remember his name. Um, remember they brought... Chris someone, wasn't Chris, it? Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell, that was it, yeah. So... Um, a lot of um, gay men my age remember him appearing in Batman because all of a sudden right. Batman got hot. Basically, Chris O'Donnell was on there <laughs> as Robin wearing spandex. And all of a sudden, I'm just really keen on superheroes and I don't know why. Yeah. Do you know it's Chris O'Donnell? You look like he did the in the 90s O'Donnell. and you're wearing Lycra? Come in, we're going to end the recording. TikTok are going to melt down with that. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the would The 90s version of TikTok. Um, <laughs> I'd be incredibly right. confused by that as an experience. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> okay, uh, last one for you, mate. So, um, artist you would really like to see live. So it can be an artist who 
you haven't seen live, but you really want to because you've never got round to seeing this particular DJ or singer perform for the sake of argument, or uh, in the in same vein as Adam West, someone who's no longer with us who you wouldn't mind seeing live from back in the day. Let me think. Let me have a good think here. Go on, have a good think. Because I feel spoiled when it comes to seeing artists perform and perform live and all that. I do feel spoiled because I feel like... Cause the line of work we've been in, we've seen people do all, all kinds of stuff and kind of... Yeah, we've been very blessed in the past to, to, to go to a lot of gigs for free. I know we were making a bit of a joke there about the cocktail mafia and not paying for stuff, but yeah, there was certain times when we were beyond blessed. Spoiled, really, when you think about it. I yeah. say to friends, they say, oh, you're saying Ed Sheeran? Yeah, he was up, he was close to me. He played a gig in reception and they're like, oh. and I thought, well, that wasn't bothered at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know, and now you look back and you go, this is amazing. Um, I'm, gr- I'm going to say... Um, just because legend, um, Freddie Mercury. I'd like to have met him. Really like to have met him. Fat Tony, yeah. who we're going to speak to. There's a drugs reference coming up. We do not condone these things. Said the very first time he ended up, it's in his book, the very first time he tried drugs was when Freddie Mercury offered him some theme out and seen in London. I was like, wow. I mean, that is a story and a half. Isn't it? Isn't it? And we will be finding out all about that, I'm sure. But yeah, Freddie, not for that reason, but Freddie Mercury as a legend and a, a living legend, I think, well, how, how mad would it have been to have seen him live, bumped into him out? Hello, mate. You all right? I think, yeah, that's it, yeah. If you could go back in time, that's definitely someone you'd want to see. I totally agree. Um, okay, right, we've got to move on uh, because, uh, speaking of, uh, I think it's probably about time we maybe brought in Fat Tony for a chat. What do you reckon? Oh, let's get him on. Get him on. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, this is Summer Refresh chatting uh, to the legend that is Mr. Fat Tony. Woo! Summer Refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny. Go. So we are recording. I'll do an intro, Tony, and then we'll go straight in. I don't in. know you what ready? that means. Shut up, Siri. If you like, I can search the web for. I am... There's probably more sense out of Siri, Tony, than me. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate these headphones. All good? So it is Summer Refreshed. We are joined okay. by the legend. Let me know if there's anything oh else God, I can Siri, help you with. Fuck off. Seriously, just fuck <laughs> off. Fucking hate it. Go on, right. Hello. It is the legend that is. Uh, what an intro. Fat Tony, welcome to Summer Refreshed. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever room I go in my house, if I say something, it's like the, the Apple Pods come on and it's like, sorry, I can't help you with that. So just fuck off then. Basically, if you don't know who Fat Tony is, we recommend you get the book. Uh, it's called I Don't Take Requests. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. He is the DJ of choice for many a celebrity. And the book, it's fair to say, summarizes a lot. It has dark places. How was it, how was it to write? Uh, it, it was a labor of love. It was so painful. An awful lot of, an awful, awful lot of shouting going on with me and Mikey, who wrote the book with me. It took two and a half years. So, you know, through that time, there was so many chapters in there that were really traumatic to actually talk about or to actually sit down and write. So uh, we kept stopping and we had to keep going back to them. And then I would go and do some trauma therapy on myself, which I did for a year and a half around the book. So, yeah, it was, it, it had its, it, I mean, it, it had its ups and it had certainly had its lows. But, the overall end product was amazing because, you know, it's out there. It's out there. I had a lot of sleepless nights around it. Well, I also believe that Michael Hennigan, who was writing it with you, who was giving you loads of advice, and you met at Soho House. That's right, yeah. So Mikey actually interviewed me for 
magazine called Ten Magazine, and he we did a, a uh, Tony's Guide to the Eighties. So Mikey, me and my kid worked on that. But I've known him longer than that. I've known him from when he used to work at Sunday Times. I've always known Mikey, but then once we did that, we worked together on those articles. I said I'm writing. I want to write a book. And he was like, okay, I'd love to do it with you. That's kind of how it all came about. So you know the trauma therapy thing that you mentioned there. Um, yeah. So did you like? Did that really help you write the book? Were you sort of reflecting on your life and just putting things in a certain order off the back of therapy? Basically, I've done. I've done. You know, because I'm in recovery, I I've done an awful lot of work on myself in, in areas around the drinking the drug yeah. uh, and my behaviours. I've never really done any work on the abuse stuff, all of the stuff that the trauma that I went through as a child. I never really touched on that stuff because for me, I plow through stuff. So I always thought that I dealt with it because I don't have to look at it. Do you know what I mean? It's really, it's, it's real human nature. Just because it's not there doesn't mean it's been dealt with, but it's no longer an issue because I don't have to talk about it. So when we started talking about the stuff, you know, for instance, we started on the trauma chapter, and I got really sick. And I thought I had food poisoning, and I was like, I have to go, and like, I can't carry on today. And I was vomiting all day. And that night, I had really bad nightmares around the guy that in question in the book. Um, and I could smell him, and I could see him. It was really awful. So what it had done was it had brought all that stuff to the surface. And where I'd locked it away in a part of my brain that I was no longer that door was firmly shut where I'd opened that door again it literally knocked me off my feet so I had to go and I, I found this amazing trauma therapist that was recommended to me and I'd started working with her and primarily what we did was we did a timeline where I would sit and I would draw with crown because what it does is it opens up a part of the brain that you talking doesn't open so when we talk about stuff we talk about what we allow ourselves to talk about but by drawing it, it opens up this whole different area of the brain. So thank God for trauma therapy. What did you do in terms of drawing? What sort of stuff would you have drawn? I'm really interested in this because I've, I've got a therapist, but I've never heard of this. You, you start at the very beginning. You draw your mum, your family, your, your everyone in your life as a child, your pets, your family pets, where you live, your street, what it looked like. And literally, you know, you just sit and colour them in different colours and then she'll like say to you, Okay, so when you got to when I got to ten and we start talking about the abuse, I had to draw my abuser. I had to draw what clothes he wore. I had to draw where he lived. It, you know, what it does is by doing that, it makes you think, and you have to really go in. It, it was um, it was really amazing. You know, to sit cross legs on the floor drawing, paying one hundred and fifty quid a session to colouring in seemed a bit silly at the time. But you know what? What came from it was amazing. Because it no longer had a hold on me. Once I'd gone through that process and I discussed it with her, all the stuff that I thought I'd dealt with, I actually started to deal with. We broke it down and we dealt with it. you think that um, those experiences have been some of the reasons that you've had uh, well-publicised drug and alcohol problems and you can draw a line between that and your childhood and how it played out later on? I don't think they're the reason. You know, I come from a very long line of alcohol alcoholics my grandfather's my dad's side of the family are all there's so much addiction and alcoholism in our within our family it's definitely a genetic a, a genetic thing yeah 100 percent you know it doesn't necessarily just because they're alcoholics doesn't mean i'm going to be 
perhaps be an alcoholic. What it does mean is that I have an addictive personality. Yeah. So I think that the, the stuff that happens to us as a kid, when we are so young, I should never have been sexualized at the age of 10. You know, suddenly being sexualized at the age of 10 took me to another era of my life that should have been much later. And, you know, to have those emotions and those feelings at that age, at such a young age, definitely adds to a lot of other things like in my life that I will always carry through to other relationships. I, you know, I, I was against alcohol. I was against drugs for so long. Till about the age of 16 when I started drinking casually with my mate. Sex became the, probably the first drug for me. You know, I use sex to change the way I feel. I use sex for control issues. I, you know, it was a learned behavior. I wouldn't say it, it was the reason why I became an alcoholic or a drug addict, but, you know, it, it's all a recipe. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, this is it, Tony, because in the book you were saying you have this zest for life. You've always had a zest for life. Do you think because of that zest, by default, you would chase after those things, what will give you that boost? And for you, there was, there was so much coming your way. A hundred percent. You know, whatever came my way was never enough. I always wanted more. So if we went out on a normal night out, I'd want to stay out for another night. I'd stay out. I'd be the last one home. And that was before I'd even started doing drink or drugs. I loved excitement. You know, I was drawn to my al alcoholic auntie because there was so much drama that went with her. So I was, oh, I've always been drawn to things that amaze me or like shocked me. Do you know what I mean? Did you think, Tony, as sort of your life was going on and you've been very open for the fact that you sort of think it, it's a miracle that you're still here, sort of, you know, and I'm trying to put it politely, I don't want to upset you, well, but you see what polite. I mean? Sort of. You don't need to put anything <laughs> politely, don't worry. In your book, I was reading one of my favourite stories in there is about the job, and you said it's the maddest job you've ever had when you worked in, we're not going to call it a brothel, what would we call it? Was, uh, it, was it a brothel? It wasn't no, technically a brothel. No, because, you know, uh, it, 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 yeah, it was a brothel. I mean, you know, basically... Brothels that didn't really exist. If you had more than one working girl in there, it was classed as a brothel. And yeah, the police yeah. would come in and shut it down. But basically, it was a place of ill repute. Let's just say that. But, you know, yeah, it was a mad job. I was 16. Yeah, and working yeah. in a brothel uh, was absolutely insane. You know what I mean? It was like literally having to open the door in drag, see the, 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 the customer in, put them into a room, find out what they wanted, then go and tell Margie at the time, who I worked for, what they wanted. But some people come there for all different things. They come for bondage. Some people came for water sports. Some people came for dressing up. A lot of people came to dress up, you know, cross-dressing. Uh, so you literally had to find out what they wanted, put them in that room, and then go and clean up the other room that whatever she's been doing in and take her into that. Yeah, so it was a full-on job, but it was insane because it was – a, it was illegal. B, it was like, you know, it had that thrill. It was just a thrilling thing. It ended up in court. You ended up in court, didn't you? Yeah, basically. You know, what has happened was she basically, her and her, her, her girlfriend had a child together, and the other girlfriend, who uh, works further up the road in another house, refused to let her see a child because she'd been doing so many drugs. So she got these two guys. Uh, to go around and rough her up. But they kind of went too far with it and she ended up dying. And so, yeah, there was a trial at the Old Bailey. I remember giving evidence on my 18th birthday. Um, it was kind of mad. You know, 
it wasn't, you know, but at the same time, it wasn't like, oh, well, that's the end of my life. You know, it was like sitting in the old Bailey underneath that dome outside the number one court and the, then the police telling us who's been tried in which court. You know, oh, yeah, thingy was done in there and, you know, so-and-so had got hung, had to be hung from that one. And it was like, oh, thanks. Oh, you're in next, by the way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this is the amazing thing, Tony, because you were saying 16 for the brothel, 18 in the old Bailey. Mm. It's these these are small numbers. They, they, a lot has gone on before this has even happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it was London. It was London. I I I started going out when I was 14. I started, I, you know, I used to tell people I was 18. I always lied about my age. I always told people I was older than I, uh, younger, older than I was because. I kind of wanted to fit in. No one wanted to hang around with a fucking 14-year-old. You get what I mean? It was like, it really yeah, yeah. was not where people wanted to be. And um, so I always pretended I was older. You know, that was London. London was so much smaller then. We didn't have places like, well, we had London. Don't be stupid. But we didn't have places where you went out. You couldn't go out for a night out in Peckham. You couldn't go for a night out in Shoreditch. You have to come into town. town. It was the West End. Yeah. That was the West End. That's where you went. It was four streets in Soho. That was the nucleus of London. You know, that was where people went and hung out. So within those four streets, you kind of knew everyone and everyone knew you. It, it kind of was a very small-knit community. And, but London was crazy then because, you know, there were so many rules and regulations of what you can and can't do. And if you tell someone, hence why I called the book, Go Don't Take Request, they're going to fucking do it. When you say to someone, don't do this, can't do it, we're all going to do it. It's human nature to just go, don't open that box. You're going to go open that fucking box straight away as soon as they walk out the room. That's the way we are. That's the way we're wired. You know, and if you, if you say you wouldn't open the box, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> Back then, we didn't have platforms. We didn't have phones. We didn't have uh, something in the palm of our hand that we could create our own personality with. We had to show our own personality. We had to find a platform, and we had to present ourselves on that platform to be noticed. Hence why people walked up and down the King's Road you know, that wanted to be in magazines, you know, the world press would go there knowing that they were going to take pictures of people. But they just stop they just people stop. on the King's Road and just go, you look absolutely fabulous. And take pictures of them. That's what it wow. was like. You know, that was social media back then, you know, walking up to, you know, we had punk. Punk came from the King's Road, World's End. You had Vivian Westwood at the end of the street. People would walk to World's End and back, up and down, being photographed. The press would always be there because they always knew that something was going on on the King's Road on a Saturday afternoon. So to have that platform, the, the more bitchy and the more out there I was with people, the more people enter, they loved it. Do you know what I mean? Things just kind of spiralled out of control always. Every weekend or every, every time we went out, there would always be a drama of some magnitude. And then next week, it'd be another drama. Do you know what I mean? You hung around with some big names, though, didn't you? Like, talking of drama... Boy, George was a good friend of yours. You used to take him back to your mum and dad's and that, didn't yeah, you? George, you know, George, I grew up with George. I, I met George on the King's Road. I was 14, I was 14 working in the Great Day Market. He would come in. Uh, call him Gina, don't you? Uh, Gina, yeah. It, it was, it was pre-culture club days. He just started doing his hair the way he did. And, you know, it, it was one of those, I, I was fascinated by him. I always wanted to be his friend. And, you know, we became really good friends. We still are really good friends. He's one of my best friends in the whole world. He's one of those people that whenever, you're, you need a shoulder or any time that you need love of someone, he's at the other end of that phone. And that's nice. the way it's always been, George. We've gone through so many different things in our lives. 
and we'll always end up back together. And the same for Elton John being called a, a tosser. <laughs> Elton and David are amazing. I went to see them the other night. I went to see Elton player at a Watford Football Club, and he did a he dedicated that won't let sun go down on me to me, which was like nice. I was blown away. I wasn't expecting that. Do you know what I mean? Elton and David are amazing. They're amazing people. You know, listen. You know, the book's not about a book about celebrityism. It's not a book about me going flying around the world with my pop star mates or me hanging out with Kate Moss. It's nothing to do with that. What the book is about, there's some stories obviously in there because they're a big part of my life. But the book, when I started writing the book, people really thought it was going to be a book like that. People yeah. really thought it was going to be a book like me and my wanky stories of me and my wanky mates. And it wasn't at all because what I wanted to do, anyone could do that. That would be really boring. Yeah. I wanted to do a story of my life. And of course, there are some stories in there around people, but the main stories, I changed everyone's name. You know, there's a story about uh, a friend of mine whose dad came over from America and she was at my house. And there's a whole chapter on that. And the person in question is a massive, I mean, massive, probably one of the biggest Hollywood stars there is. And I, I didn't put his name in it. And I changed her name for the very reason that I didn't want to make my book about that. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Because those would be the stories. I, I made a big mistake very early on when I did this document, uh, documentary mixmag, and I told the Freddie Mercury story. And, you know, and that story kind of just carried that. And, and like, you know, it's always be, it's the first thing people ask me. And it's like, you know what? It, it was a story that I didn't really need to tell. Do you get what I mean? It just was a part of a conversation. And that one small sentence became such a fucking big deal. Can you tell people that story now that don't know it? Because I mean, I've, I'm like halfway through your book at the moment and it's incredible. I love it. It's a bit of a tale of redemption. It's about somebody who sorted themselves out and I've got all the time in the world for that. But for anyone who hasn't heard the, um, the story about Freddie Mercury, would you mind telling us? Let's jump by the fucking book. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Basically what happened was I was, I was outside heaven on a Saturday night, I, I was too scared. It was men only, and I was too scared to go in. It was the first time. I stood outside in the freezing cold in a white beer root T-shirt. I stood there all night. I got there from about, I think I got there about 9.30 before it even opened and was waiting there. And all night long, people kept saying, you got, why are you not going in? I was like, I was waiting for my mate. And I could not bring myself to go in. I was so petrified of going in. In a T-shirt in the middle of winter, wasn't in middle, it? In the middle of winter with beer root written on it, yeah. And um, in like bubble bubble print, it was amazing. I love that. Picture. But you know, I stood there all night. And anyway, along came this group of guys, and they were like, "Why are you standing there in the t-shirt?" And I was like, "I'm waiting for my friends." And one of the security guards was like, "No, he's not. He's been there all night." And I was like, "Anyway, I ended up going in with them, and one of them happened to be Freddie Mercury." Now, I wasn't a Queen fan. I never grew up listening to Queen in our house. There were no Queen fans in the house. I was into like soft cell and all stuff like that at that point in time, you know, Depeche mode. And uh, so Queen were really off my radar. I, I kind of knew who Freddie was. I was stupid to say I didn't, but I never knew he was one of those people in that group of people. And then as the night progressed, they kind of told me and we were hanging out. Anyway, I ended up going back to, to a house in Holland Park, which happened to be Freddie's house, and did drugs. Basically, Freddie's like, do you want some of this? And I was like, I don't really do drugs. He said, we'll try it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. That's what the story was. Because someone said, oh, who gave you your first line of coke? And I was like, Freddie Mercury, actually. That's how the story came out. But, you know, it, it was one of those stories that just stuck. 
And so I put it in the book because I wanted it to to tell the story of how it actually happened and not trying to make a quick buck of living off the back of Freddie Mercury. But that's not what it was about. It never has been about that. Do you know what I mean? And I think sort of coming back to your childhood, Tony, so I was reading this only yesterday and there was one bit and I actually, I don't really know why, but it must have touched a, emotionally touched a, a nerve for me when you were talking about growing up with your mom and dad and they had a bit of a fighting relationship yeah. between them both and how she always looked after herself. And there was a line in it, which you were mentioning the all of your mum, all of um, Ole was, was always. Ole, on, Ole, yeah. and, and I remember that was the big sort of, that was like my mum's treat, the most expensive thing. And I don't know why, but I started crying, reading it. Aww. And, and I text my mum and I was just like, do you know what? Like, I might not always say it, but I really love you. And I feel like I'm getting emotional now. And I don't know why, but it touched a nerve. That was just a little tiny thing for me. Never mind you reliving all the stories and you say, you know, the, the wanky mates and the wanky stories and stuff like that, but stripping it down to a level of taking yourself right back. And that's exactly in that moment what I did. And I was like, Oh, this is powerful. So relatable to your book, Tony. Like just the stories about how you grew up as a young gay man in London at that time. Um, and so much of it, I was like, oh yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. And it's the opening bit for me. I've also been through, um, I'm in recovery. I was a drug addict like, yeah. 10 years ago. And when I read the bit about you going to DJs, the opening bit, and it reduced me to tears. You had me in tears in the first two pages. The opening bit where you're like, you know, I was fucked up being awake for a week, blah, 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 blah. Got there. It was, is he going to turn up? And my boyfriend took one look at me and went, oh, Tony. And then you cried. And I was like, wow, yeah. Because I mean, for anyone who's been in them sort of situations, that is when you realise, oh, shit, I've, I've got to change. Yeah, that, you know, that that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back that night. You know, uh, we started the book on that page because it was such a powerful thing. Because that was the, the turning point that changed everything. You know, basically what had happened was I'd been out uh, I'd, I'd already gone back to the flat. I, you know, I've been out since Tuesday. It was Friday at this point, and I was told I wasn't allowed to go back to his house because we lived together. But I was only ever meant to be staying there because I'd lost my other flat again. And I got back uh, that morning, and I burgled his house. I broke the window and got in. Stole his jeans. I stole his shoes with the same stuff. You know, literally stole everything. Left again and went back out. And that night. I was at the cross in Kingsborough, so I was rocking back and forth, and, and, you know, and I was sick, like, normally, like I am now, but I was rocked back and forth, but that was kind of just, you know, my psychosis was so bad, that rocking back and forth calmed me down, so I thought, and I remember sitting there, and at that point in time, I had one tooth left, I pulled all the rest out, and I had one tooth, and I remember pulling it, and my friend come in running into the back room, into the green room, and was like, Johnny's here. And I was like, what? And he's like, John, Johnny's here, you need to know. And I was just like, and I just thought, I can't cope with this, because I knew he was going to he was gonna come and attack me, breaking the window in his back, stealing his clothes. And, you know, I knew, I knew where it was going to go. And he knew, he'd been barred from the cross for two years for coming there and telling the owners that he, they were going to find me dead on their toilet floor. And I'd be like, bar him, he's, you know, he's trying to ruin everything for everyone. He's here just like, you know, because he'd become an obstacle to my fun. It wasn't fun, but it was using. And, and that night he came in and he came into the green room and I just, and he came up and literally put his hand on my shoulders where all my hairs always stand on them. Because I looked at him and I just like, and I just thought, I can't deal with you. 
And he just looked at me and said, well, what happened to you, babe? And that oh, always yeah. makes me want to cry. Because it was yeah, the moment, so the God-given moment that changed my life forever. Yeah. And I remember looking at him and bursting out crying and thinking, and I just, I couldn't answer the question. And he was like, you used to be so great. What happened? And I was just like, and that was it. We left the club. I went home and I was crying. And then on the Monday, I went to see Dr. Paul, which was my doctor that it was around the corner that I used to get my sleeping pills on. Your GP that was this, it wasn't a posh doctor. This no, was just your yeah, yeah, GP. Yeah, yeah. yeah GP. Yeah. And I went to see him and I went, I need help. And he said, you know what? I've been waiting for years for you to say both okay. words. And I was like, well, why didn't you say anything? It's not my place to say anything. I have to wait for you to say it. I'm like, don't do it anymore. And he was like, okay. And he, he put me in touch with the job dropping center. And I went there and I met this incredible woman called Penny Chetta, who basically paved the way to who I am today. She basically showed me love. She didn't show any judgment. She showed me that I was an alcoholic as well as a drug addict. She showed me so many things that I needed to see at that point in time. Um, and within, within three, four months after that, I was in rehab and I went away for six months. Uh, you know, I was taken out of the problem to look back in on it. And that was uh, 15 and a half years ago. Um, you know, my life is, that wasn't a life. That was an existence. Yeah. It got to the point where every day all I ever thought about was dying. I didn't think about, oh, we're going on holiday in two months or we're going to buy these tomorrow or I'm going there. That, that just didn't happen. Uh, all I ever thought about was dying on a daily basis. And suddenly, the, that night when he came in and said those words to me, that was the pilot light going back on. It literally went back on at that point. And life just got better from that moment on in, you know, because as I say, the pilot light for life came back on. I no longer want to kill myself on a daily basis. Was that because he showed you love in that situation as opposed to you expecting him to kick off and he just did the yeah, exact opposite I, and you were I like, well. I think it was a, a number of things. I think it was definitely the love. I, uh, I know for one thing, the love, he, the love of one person certainly kept me alive. But also I think that it was the right time at the right, in the right place. It was a God-given moment. It really was. He should never have been there. We weren't even allowed in the fucking club. He'd been barred for two years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, and, and, and it, it just, it, 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 yeah, it happened at the right time. And I literally, if it had been an hour before, I'd probably have ran out of the club and gone off and hid somewhere. Or, you know, it literally was just the right it time. It got you at the right point, yeah. And Tony, if you could sort of say that pilot, pilot light had been off for a bit and it came back on, how many years was it off? So I, I used I used drugs for twenty eight years. I abused drugs for fifteen. So you know for a very long time. And the last three or four years of my using were just existing. It was awful. It really was. It was literally a day to day existence. I would sleep in the recovery position. Uh, after three days of being out or whatever long I was been out, I would sleep in the recovery position because there was a part of me that wanted to live. And I just thought, okay, if I sleep in this position, I I might have a chance of waking up. When you've got a drugs problem, it's almost like a form of self-harm at times, isn't it? Because of the damage you're doing to yourself. Of course it is. You know, listen, when I went to to have a psychiatric report done, before I went to rehab, I went to this uh, place in that camden and the psychiatrist was like, Okay, have you ever self-harmed? And I was like, no. 
why would I tell Palm? Mm. And my partner was sitting next to you, and my partner went, you pulled all your teeth out. And I was like, yeah, but that wasn't self-harming. That was the levels of my insanity that I actually thought that was normal behavior. So what we do is, every time we take a drug, you know, it starts off as fun. There's a thin line between abuse and abuse. And as soon as you start to abuse anything, that's, that totally is, it, we, we're on that destruction level. And, and, you know, it's self-harming. Of course it is. There's no, uh, there's nothing loving and kind in taking drugs. Tony, I know you've sort of said we share a love for the TV show this morning. And I think it's something which you were there, the, you know, not too long ago in the forest. You looked so happy, DJ. You were great on the sofa. Um, and that was a little thing. Did you have many little girls like that to think, I'll be on that sofa They're one really day? They're really stupid things, but they really meant so much because I used to sit in the flat on a Wednesday or a Thursday, like dying dehydrated watching i would I, the blinds would all be shut i would be in darkness and i would be watching this morning and i would sit and i would watch them and I'd, one day i'll show everyone i'll show everyone i'll be on that sofa i'll be on there i'll tell you doing something that people will be proud of me of and you know then when they asked me to do this morning i was like wow this is doing come true listen i've done some incredible things in my life you know i have these pinchy moments all the time where I think, oh, my God, how did I get here? You know, literally every week there's something new that happens. But that sitting on that sofa was a really big thing for me. And, yes, it was only this morning, and, yes, it's a daytime TV program. But the significance of where I was, from where I came from, to actually ending up on that sofa and, and being honest about it. Because, you know, I wasn't there through lying. I wasn't there through cheating. I was there because I was telling the truth. And that's a, a remarkable thing for somebody like me. To find that honesty and find that honesty actually really works. When you spent a lifetime of lying and cheating and suddenly you turn it around and suddenly you get these moments where you're there because you, you're telling that you're there because of who you are and what you're saying and, you know, believing in stuff. It's, it's a remarkable experience. And, you know, yes, it was this morning sofa. And, you know, it was, it was a big point, man. If you were to have a conversation with that young, nervous, 17-year-old waiting um, over the, the road from heaven, sat outside, drinking Coca-Cola, waiting to go in there. What would you say? Oh, 14, sorry. Go home and put your jacket on, your tosser. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, you know, people, I get asked this question all the time, would you change anything? And I, you know, at the beginning of the book, we started off as saying I had no regrets. And at the end of the book, I had so many regrets. There's nothing like looking at yourself to actually realise how many regrets you have because you know you go through like say I don't regret this and I don't regret that. I regret so much, but you know there's nothing I can do about those regrets apart from live them today and make those changes and do what I didn't do in the past I can do today because I, I believe that in, when you're in recovery or you're recovering from anything, there's no such thing as I can't because whatever you do, least, you do least... in a positive manner and a positive way, you can do fucking anything. And I think, do if I could say anything to that Tony outside heaven, it would be shut the fuck up, literally, and listen. I never listen to anyone, ever. I listen to my head, and my head the worst place. <laughs> Seriously, you just, you, I'm a firm believer of going on gut. Gut's a different thing. If I, if I leave it to my head, then I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> my head will take me out the door. And in the book, Tony, You've got redemption 
and success towards the back end. Do you think there's more success now because you've seen and gone through everything? I think that the, the reason, you know, I, I, the fact that I wake up, I live the day and love, love the fact that I, uh, another day I'm a morning person. You know, the fact that I can go to sleep at night and know that my side of the street is clean is success in itself. Let alone what's going on in my career right now. Everything that I have today is because I don't, because of the things I don't do, right? I don't do drugs. I don't do drink. I treat people respect. I don't treat people badly because I don't treat myself badly anymore. So it all boils down to how I treat myself. If I'm treating myself in a good, and if I'm nice to myself and loving to myself, I'm going to be loving and nice to everyone else. Yeah. If I'm yeah. treating myself in a bad way, I'm bad to everyone. So, you know, I really think that I, you know, if you go, the last, you know, your career's gone through the roof the last few years, and it's like, it's taken 15 and a half years of hard graft, which goes through. Yeah. It didn't happen overnight. And it's because I keep continuing to put one foot in front of the other. And that's, that's a remarkable thing. And yes, I owe my life to recovery because, you know, if, if those people weren't there to show me and direct me and actually continue, Every time I failed to pick me back up, I'd be dead now. And I was in IV for the other week. I'm there all the time every week at the moment, yeah, or yeah. every other weekend. I went to for a spa day at Six Senses, and there was like, I literally was there 20 minutes within that 20 minutes. I'd signed six books of people sitting around the pool reading it. That's fucking mind blowing. Do you get what I mean? People yeah, coming yeah. up to me and saying, I've just read your book. It's an incredible experience, and we're about to go to America to do America. Book comes out there in September. So I'm having a launch party in, in Beverly Hills and one in, in New York a week later. I mean, that's fucking mental, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Such a journey. If you follow me, then you're doing the right thing. If you don't follow me, start following. End of story, yeah. <laughs> yes, good words. <laughs> I really want to ask who's DJing at the launch party in September now in the US. I really don't know yet. <laughs> We're available. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that note. Bye. Signals as well. This is Summer Refresh. What a legend there, DJ Fat Tony. Not soft as well, changing the subject when we offered our DJing services. It's Graham and Johnny on Summer Refreshed. Obviously, we talked about uh, some really serious issues over the course of the last hour or so with DJ Fat Tony. We talked about depression, mental health and drugs issues as well. And often these things are kind of all, they all sort of blend into the one space. What I would say is that if you're suffering with your mental health or you want to talk to somebody, the Samaritans is a great place to start. Samaritans.org or just Google Samaritans. If you want to talk about yours or somebody else's drug taking or want to find out more about all of that, uh, I'd say talk to Frank com or just google talk to frank summer refreshed and time to move on i think johnny has got something for free i repeat johnny has got something for free so summer refreshed is a magazine style podcast which means we've got loads of stuff the episodes drop every two weeks and you think of summer you think of hot weather hopefully you think of a heat wave and you think of sitting outside with a nice drink it could be a nice wine a nice cold lager or a cocktail. So I thought I can find two things I love, cocktails and shopping, which means we got to the Cocktail Mafia at Harvey Nichols on the fourth floor uh, of Edinburgh's Harvey Nichols store. It's a great location for a cocktail. And I thought I'd find out a little bit more ahead of challenging Graham to try and make one. Here's what happened when I caught up with Mark and Andy from the Cocktail Mafia 
which are located inside Harvey Nichols in Edinburgh. Summer Refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny. And I think you'll like this uh, because I've combined shopping and booze under one roof. Uh, so I'm with the Cocktail Mafia. It's the pop-up bar here in Harvey Nicks. And uh, we've got two guys from the Cocktail Mafia in front of me now. Andy, hello. Hello. And Mark, hello. Hello. Mark, do you want to uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the Cocktail Mafia? If you're here or in the West End, what can you expect? Absolutely. So we launched back in December of 2021, just about two or three days after that we got put into lockdown again, so that was <laughs> thoroughly enjoyable. But we got back going again in January, um, and obviously we've been open about six months now, give or take. Andy's our general manager here, so Andy started running the show then. Um, he's moved from the Raging Bull, which is our other venue on Lothian Road. Basically, our, our sort of concept is good service, good cocktails. It's, it's pretty much as simple was that to be honest and most of them have like a few comedy names so I've had the pinky in the brain if you had to choose one of your favourite cocktails which would you go for Andy I'm going to go for you uh, for on. me I think it's maybe mangoes on a tropical vacation it's one that I think they might be making later on today it's uh, one of the ones in the tiki section so like super fruity bunch of different rum and it's on fire so when you guys are like getting involved with this as a business do you just go through loads of boozy nights to kind of get where you want to be? Is it like a, some sort of weird concoction of trying to get things together going, that goes well in there, a dash of that, yeah, write it down quick. Is it kind of like that? It's a bit of a mix of everything, to be honest. We all, I mean, creating new cocktails, you're never really inventing the wheel again. You're just kind of doing different takes in different ways. And I think you'll see, especially in Edinburgh, the bar scene, there's more and more bars just trying to be a lot more creative and be exciting with what they do. I mean, for example, we have a drink called the Rise and Shine, served in a light bulb with a little light underneath it. Pretty simple, really. The drink's nice, sweet and fruity, colourful, but like just always trying to be different because there's only so many times you can put lime or lemon on top of a cocktail and yep. think that looks exciting. Yeah, it's just a bit boring when it's done over and over again. You know, mentioning COVID and lockdown and those sort of troubles, difficulties any business would face, have you found it almost easier or a lot harder is it easier because now everyone just wants to go out and the, and the pandemic's kind of being pushed aside and touch wood it'll stay that way or would you kind of think do you know what would you just never wanted to go through that in any way shape or form as a business i mean for me it's a weird one i would say because with the raging bull so we never had the cocktail mafia when covid hit obviously we, we took yep. this on at a later date but with the other venue the raging bull we it, it kind of worked in a different way for us. It meant we had to change the way we sort of worked, basically. So we, we eventually we went towards table service cause, because we had to. But that actually kind of helped us in a good way because that bar, we were always trying to get it to a certain place with basically making known as a cocktail bar. And ever since COVID, doing the table service, we've always stuck with that way and people seem to like it a lot more. I mean, with regards to the cocktail mafia... There was almost a, a step before that as well. One of the things I like about this business is the owner, Nick's great. He's super innovative about a lot of stuff. As soon as the lockdown started, we were obviously forced to shut. We were all pretty much out of a job for when it started, for the foreseeable. And Nick was straight on the ball trying to come up with ideas of things that we could do while we weren't open. The first sort of ideas we had were as soon as we were allowed to, obviously, there was a couple of weeks at the start where we kind of had to just sit on our thumbs a little bit and yeah. wait until we could do something. But as soon as we were able to get back into the bar, we couldn't open and have customers inside, obviously, because we were in a lockdown, but we were able to do deliveries, sort of Uber Eats, Deliveroo, sending cocktails to their houses. We had an online shop on our website, and we were doing quite a lot of online cocktail masterclasses over Zoom. We need to do as much as we can, really. It wasn't even about necessarily making loads of money. It was just a case of keeping our name in people's minds while, while yep. we're closed, because the, the whole city was closed. And I think we were one of the first to do takeaway cocktails, to be honest, as simple as that. And like Andy mentioned, we'd done sort of online masterclasses. So especially around the December time, I think this would have been December 2020, yeah. there was a lot of office staff obviously wanting work parties and 
everything was on Zoom at the time. So we got some really big, big parties on the go and we're sending boxes of like 20, 30 boxes to for each party and <laughs> some so of the smaller ones and that was, was the smaller ones some, yeah. I think there was a week where we had a class of about 80 or 90 people and one or two more for 60 people so we pretty much turned the Raging Bull into a bit of a sweatshop while we were <laughs> prepping all the boxes to send out we were sending out all the shakers uh, so it was, yeah, all the tins all the measuring stuff the strainers and then each person doing the class would get a kit that had the sort of 7 or 8 25 mil measures of all the spirits and syrups and liqueurs that we were using for the cocktails so the, the, the guy who owns uh, the cocktail mafia is it a case of like he's so supportive that he will obviously let you fall over and then stand up again on your own two feet and go okay you know has he ever sort of got in there and gone no from the start or? I think it's, it's very much give and take I mean look he's an experienced business owner so you know we're always open to his advice but sometimes we, he's more than you know willing for us to turn around and say no that, that doesn't work let's do it in this way whatever that may be to be honest so it's very much a mutual kind of working relationship if you like there's no like this is how it is end of story sometimes a lot of the time you'll be right and say look why don't you try this again whatever it may be and we'll maybe sometimes think "Ah, don't really want to do that but try it and boom there we go we're just always trying to be creative and do neat things in a different way to be honest well it's clearly working all right because if you go on google the cocktail mafia 4.8 stars as the google review comes up straight away we're now sat in harvey nicks everyone knows knows the name knows the brand so you've got the concession um to, to give you a rough idea now i am going to do a cocktail masterclass later how that might go i don't know if i ruin the business i apologize you'll never hear from me again it's fine you've kind of got this sort of sweeping bar when obviously you're looking at something like this is, is this a challenge is it something where you, you you wouldn't want to shy away from your brand which is new and developing and growing is working with something established is that like a challenge in itself but one you relish definitely i absolutely, think absolutely yeah it's yeah. such a great opportunity and it kind of <laughs> happened around the same time that i started as a general manager at the cocktail mafia i had quite a quick transition for me moving over so i kind of stepped into that role middle of april and about a week after i started nick and mark said oh by the way in a couple of weeks we're starting this other bar up at uh, harvey nichols so you'll be running that as well don't get like, too oh, settled fantastic <laughs> It's very Instagrammable is probably where I'm going with this. Is that a, a vision in your brain as much as being here in a, in a cool shop like this? Yeah, I mean, look, the interior of the boys, it's very important. You know, you want to be sitting where you're enjoying a good cocktail. You want to be in a nice sort of location, don't you? So, yeah, we've obviously, with our Miami Bay, that is a sort of more brighter, summery kind of vibe going on in there. We've got uh, two palm trees there from a old Scottish artist who, uh, honestly, I think his name was George Wiley. I might be wrong, um, but there's a bit of history in there, basically, from the, from the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> fact check that. <laughs> one could definitely be wrong and then in the main bar it's kind of a little more of a different vibe I mean it's it's a little bit more I would say chicago if, if yeah. that makes sense Fringe Festival's coming it's back bigger and better than ever before this year Fringe sort of plans guys have you got a special Fringe cocktail or have I just put that in your brain to think here we go do you not want to reveal it it's up to you what's on your brain for, for the Fringe this year We've got a couple of things in the work. We don't, as of yet, have any special cocktails, but we do a lot of work with brands. We kind of look to do sort of one or two different things a month to bring in new cocktails, keep it fresh. Yeah. And I think we're also looking to kind of update and refresh the current menu that we've got in the bar. So kind of going into the festival period, so mixing it up, like taking off some of the drinks that didn't work out as well as we thought, changing up some of them and bringing some new fun ideas. Is it seasonal in terms of that kind of menu like you would in a restaurant when, you know, you'd have your produce changing because of if it was winter or the summer for the sake of argument? Is the things changing up? Are you guys the same? It sounds ridiculous because it's something I would never ever think about because you just open the menu and just probably assume it's always the same, but... I, th- I would say, I mean, to be honest with the Cocktail Mafia, we never went with this sort of seasonal approach. We just wanted a good range sort of, of drinks that can be happily drunk in the winter and the summer. On our other venue, yes, we do seasonal menus, but we're kind of just 
doing a bit of trial and error at the moment to be honest we don't want to necessarily restrict ourselves I guess with just having summer drinks because you know on the other hand people really like a white Russian or a hot toddy almost it's yep. like a, a wintery drink if people want them we'll always do them all year round so in terms of what's next obviously we're sat in Harvey Nicks now where's this going to go I mean we, we want to grow as a business I mean in the short term we've got plans so like you say the fringe and we cocktail week coming up in October then before you know it's Christmas and you know a lot we'll have a lot of party bookings going on then in the longer term to be honest we'd really like to take the cocktail mafia further afield different cities whether that's across Scotland or across the UK in general quite, quite a nightlife in Newcastle so that would probably be a safe it's bet fit, yeah. <laughs> fit in Liverpool as well do you Liverpool, know what I mean definitely, yeah, absolutely. I can see, yeah. so, Andy will be pulling his hair if you could choose one cocktail so be it here in Harvey Nicks or obviously at the cocktail mafia in the West End I'm going to put you on the spot I know you probably say they're all lovely if you could choose one which one would it be oh it's a difficult one go on you go first Danny I need a second uh, to think about this for one. me I think it's one of the newer ones we've got so one of the ones that's on the Harvey Nichols menu here not one of the ones that's on the menu in the bar it's the watermelon Tommy's margarita it's like perfect summer drink super fruity refreshing and I love tequila so <laughs> okay <laughs> you can't really go wrong <laughs> so I'm probably going to go I mean to be honest it you can sit on the fence if you want uh, okay. I'm, I'm kind of on it honestly just like an old fashioned like I'm pretty simplistic in that sense I know it, most sort of our clientele if you like are prefer the sort of generally sweeter and fruitier kind of drinks but I honestly just like it simple nice old fashioned and I'll always have bourbon orange bitters nice little bit of brown sugar simple as that and that, that's me happy is it ever okay to order off menu or is that frowned upon? No, that's something that we kind of encourage. Uh, A lot of the time when people are sort of greeted into the bar and sat at the tables, the the waiting staff that we've got will say like, we've obviously got a pretty extensive menu with close to 40 cocktails on it, so it can be a a bit overwhelming, but we encourage people to sort of ask the staff for recommendations, tell them what sort of things they usually like, and if if they get through all 40 cocktails and don't find something they like, then we'd be more than than happy to make up any classic cocktails or any sort of bespoke creations that they want to come up with themselves. Saying about curations, so the pressure's going to be on now. So Andy is going to teach me how to make a cocktail. You'll be able to obviously see the video on our social, so that's at Refreshing Pod to see what I'm going to create. Mark is going to do a blind taste there, so I don't know if this is going to be really well for me or end really badly <laughs> for Andy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So if you want to sound like a bit of a prenup now, uh, that's fine. So what are we going to make, Andy? What's the... Uh... I think we're going to be going with the mangoes on a tropical vacation. The one you mentioned Name before. Name just rolls off the tongue. Like I was saying earlier, it's one of the tiki drinks. It's got a bit of, sort of theatrics to it, a bit of pyrotechnics to it. I guess. Gentlemen, I wish you all the best. Plug the website then. Yeah, so the website's thecocktailmafia.co.uk. Pretty simple. Follow us on Instagram as well at thecocktailmafia.uk. We're on it all, so <laughs> give us a follow. Come and join us. Come and have some cocktails. There is no escape from the Cocktail Mafia at the West End <laughs> or here when you're doing a bit of shopping in Harvey Nicks. Guys, it's been fantastic and let's bring it on. Let's do a yeah. cocktail masterclass. Cheers, yes, thank you. Cheers, guys. This is Summer Refresh. Johnny has got something for free. I repeat... Johnny has got something for free. So that was free. My chat. That was free. Was that, um, that freebie? It was freebie for the fact that I did the cocktail masterclass. Um, which did, did you pay any money? That normal people would pay money for that. Did you pay any money? No money at all. Um, not. God bless but him. God love him. On our socials, at Refreshing Pod, you can see I did a cocktail masterclass Obviously, that was just me chatting to Andy and chatting to Mark about the business and stuff. The cocktail masterclass, I made this cocktail. So in the cocktail mafia, they've got like really cool cocktails. They're very, very up and out there to go, right, we'll try something different. It isn't just your traditional margaritas. You can get one if you want, but it can be different things. For example, you might have heard me say that I had a pinky in the brain cocktail. As in, wasn't that off Ren and Stimpy? Ren and Stimpy, classic. Oh, yes. 
Um, and there's another one which, uh, yeah, they don't do like a, um, like, what was it, Dexter's Lab. They should do a Dexter's Lab one, shouldn't they, if you remember Big that? blue thing, yeah. Ask your older um, brother or something. <laughs> We're not that old. We're all right with 90s references, I think. <laughs> I think just, yeah. Man goes going about Mr. Blobby that there's a problem with? Oh, no, you can't go wrong with Mr. Blobby. That would be a guess and a half, wouldn't it? Should we try and reach out? It makes zero me, sense. And if this they is, if, get me Blobby. <laughs> just, I'm up for that. Just like causing chaos. That's all he ever used to do. If he come in here now, the photograph behind me and every contents of the desk would just be on the floor within minutes. He can go, he can go to your studio. That's what we can do. I can watch remotely. Blobby can just okay. burst in. I'm up for that. Yeah, yeah. The studio, which is also my house, just trash the gap. <laughs> I would love, imagine now if the doorbell went. I'd love that. It was Mr. Blobby. I would, I would honestly okay. send Noel as well. All right, we'll get them all here. All the 90s references. <laughs> so uh, another cocktail. So this was one which they've made, which was the one I made, which you can see uh, at Refreshing Pod uh, on the various socials. It's called Man Goes for a Tropical Vacation. Nice. So I'm going to give you these ingredients. I will give you them only once. And uh, do you want to try uh, and make a cocktail for me next week? Yeah, go on. I'm a, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll stick these down on something. They're quite secret, these ingredients. So I can tell you kind of what goes in it. I can give you the measures once. I'm allowed to give you the measures once, but I'm not really allowed to, to list these on the socials. I've okay. Just, so, they could just uh, rewind the podcast. There's no one's like, that's okay. You give me the, just oh, give yeah, me sorry, it once. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is what you need. This is what nice. I made on the Cocktail Masterclass. 20 mil Dead Man Fingers Mango. 25 mil of Bacardi. <laughs> sorry, can you go? 10 mil. Hmm? I can't repeat it. 10 mil of, it says, Organs Liqueur, uh, O-R-G-A-N-T. Right. Got you. Ten, are you getting this? 10 mil lime sherbet syrup. Right. Never heard of that. 25 mil of mango juice. Right. 25 mil of orange juice. I've got that. And just a dash of tiki bitters or tiki. So, I, do you know what? I'm not going to lie. I was still stuck on Dead Man's Finger. And, um, right. and it's that's a, got nothing to do with Johnny Depp. It's a, it's a spiced rum, an unconventional rum, which is good. Oh, you've done a mistake here of Googling this as we were going about. And I said I couldn't repeat it. You'll uh, have to rewind the podcast to find them out now. Oh, no. Well, I, all I got was Dead Man's Finger. And yeah, that, so it's a rum-based cocktail. I've now said it three times. I don't know if we've broken the terms of some sort of agreement you've got with them. If you're going to have to pay it's now, okay. you're going to have to pay for the session now. Is this what it is? I was going to say, yeah, this is going to cost me a fortune. <laughs> and there's a last little bit to do. So um, what we did, it didn't go brilliantly well because I set fire to my cocktail, which you're meant to do. So there's a, it's Don Q151. So that's a very strong alcohol. And basically you get like this kind of lime shell. So obviously it's just the shell of the lime. You take everything out the middle. Yeah. You put this on top of the cocktail. You pour this Don Q151 in. You get the blowtorch, set it alight. Boom, there you go. Get a blow, we thing, get a blowtorch. I'm going to give you the challenge. So in the start of the Harry Potter episode, okay. I'm going to make sure we've got a couple of minutes and see what cocktail you can make. If you set fire to it, that's your own choice. As I did, thing is these days, of course, rightly so, the straws are paper. Not very good when you set fire to a cocktail, particularly when, and you can see this on our socials, the smoke which was coming out the top of this thing, and then we were in a huge panic. Because right above where we were, top floor, fourth floor of Harvey Nicks in Edinburgh, all the sprinklers, well, the oh. three of us were 
in a panic, trying to like waft it with anything available. I had to run over to the sink and drop the took the straw out, put it in the sink, and basically put the uh, put the water and the ice all over it. So maybe not the most advisable thing. Could you imagine if you'd have if you'd have if that would have gone really 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 wrong, like school sprinklers wrong, and you'd have set off all the sprinklers in Harvey Nicks in Edinburgh in a designer store? How many million pounds worth of damage would you have caused if that had happened? Um, thank God, nothing happened. But it was. You'll see on the video, it's well worth checking out at Refreshing Pod. We're on Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Instagram. Have a little look. Uh, you will not be disappointed. So um, there you go. I will just put them out there now. I won't say the re- ingredients again. You would uh, think, by the to- way, you'd think that this far into everyone's bothered about the environment, that you'd think that these paper straws, they are not, that, listen, they're not, they're not up to the same scratch as the plastic ones. I, I thoroughly approve of people using them. You'd think someone would come up with a better one, wouldn't you? Than something that's flammable, for starters. You only put it in a drink and then it starts to disintegrate. Look, someone should come up with something better, I think. Maybe at the end of this. Forget summer refreshed, more like straws refreshed. Straws refreshed. (laughs) Summer refreshed. Episode one, boxed off right here at Refreshing Podcast. Uh, We were talking to DJ Fat Tony earlier on. I know um, a lot of people uh, may be a little bit triggered or maybe uh, thinking about somebody that they know who's got some sort of issues on the go, whether it be drugs or mental health, or maybe you yourself are suffering with that. Uh, Once again, Samaritans.org is a good place to start uh, to talk to somebody about your mental health. Uh, and uh, for drugs advice um, if you're concerned about yourself or somebody else's drug taking um, talktofrank.com or just search talk to Frank. next time I was a funny person before I started doing stand up I don't know any comedians that weren't like it's a very weird thing to go I'm not funny in my day to day life I know what I'm going to do I'm going to be funny professional okay so this is a bit of a sore spot she messaged me saying you've written a show about me and I went go on no, I've written 30 seconds of a show about you. Oh, yeah, and uh, hang on a minute. Yes, just just, just wait, wait, come on. Uh, episode two, it's a Harry Potter special. I live in Edinburgh. You can't escape Potterness. It's all over the place here. And um, so next time on Summer Refreshed, we will have a Harry Potter special. There is a show called Spontaneous Potter, the unofficial improvised parody. It's important to use the full title for legal reasons, which is why we are not a Harry Potter walking tour. We are a magical ambulation around Edinburgh's old town about J.K. Rowling's famous magic orphan. And also, after a chat with those guys about 10 years of touring, um, I kind of thought we'll put all the tour guys together. And it was a test for them and for me. Wait, wait, sure, no, yeah, no, 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 it's it's strange. But there's, no, 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 I must, must apologise. Things have gone massively off the me. <laughs> yeah. I never thought I, this I, I, so I much. This is great. It's gold. It's in that bath. We'll see you in a fortnight. Your summer refreshed with Graham Smith and Johnny. Really want to ask who's DJing at the launch party in September now in the US. We really don't know yet. We're available. Got <laughs> that note. Bye. Let me know if there's anything else I can help you with. Oh, seriously, just f*** off.